You know, my wife and I had an opportunity last night to go have dinner with Sister Bradley, Ginny Bradley, your aunt. Yeah. Who I think most of us know, well, the locals know Sister Bradley. Bob Bradley, Paul Bradley's brother, passed away 12 years ago. Sister B is, is uh, his uh, wife. And Chris and I were in their church for a number of years back in our early part of our life when Summer and Tyler were young kids in Ferndale. And I will tell you that that was where I met Jesus again. I'm so thankful for Sister Bradley and Pastor Bradley. I'm so thankful for their life. I'm so thankful for what they meant to us. Sister B talked. She is a prayer warrior. And let me just pass along one little thing that she said that helped me, and I hope it helps you. She said that whenever she starts her prayer time every morning, from 9 to 12 is her prayer time. Don't call her before 9 or before 12 o'clock. It's not that she's sleeping. It's her prayer time from 9 to 12. That's pretty powerful. But she says the first thing she does, the first five minutes that she spends, she goes, it's the hardest part of her prayer time because she likes to talk. If you know Sister B, you know she likes to talk. The first five minutes that she spends, she doesn't say a word. She just sits in the presence. And she tries to see God for who he is. She just imagines what's going on in heaven. She sees the Father sitting on the throne. And she sees Jesus next to him making intercession for us. And she hears the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And she uses that first five minutes not saying anything but just to try to envision what God is doing. And then with that comes a sense of worship. It comes with that a sense of awe of who this God is that knows her name and is concerned about her. And the reality is he already knows our issues. He already knows our hearts. So many times we just jump into prayer and we just want to tell God all about it without really knowing who he is. And I just want to encourage you, as you begin your prayer time, however long it is, take the first portion of it. Before you say a word, you might say, good morning, God. That's appropriate. But then just sit in his presence for a while and just envision who he is and just appreciate how much he loves you. And when we do that, we also see the fact is that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter the turmoil, no matter the fear, no matter the stress, no matter the anxiety that you have, it doesn't change who he is. He's still God, and he's still sitting on the throne, and he's still in charge and control of all of it. And when I recognize that, it helps reduce my anxiety because I know that he still has it all under his control, and I just need to come under his authority as well. And when I do that, it just helps set my day. And I do that as well, and I was so glad to hear her say that because it just reminded me how important that is. So I just encourage you, before you jump into your prayer calisthenics, (laughs) before you jump into it, just appreciate who Jesus is for a few minutes. Does that make sense? Is that good? I think it's awesome. Amen. Thank you, Jackie and Tom and Andrea, for leading us into worship. It was awesome. I just want to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit some more. 
we're in a very good series, I believe, of understanding the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do for us and what he wants to do in us. He's such an amazing part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is so, so wonderful in that he has a desire to be a part of our life. It takes a lot of conversations to try to understand him. And uh, therefore, it's going to take us a little bit of time as well. And so we're working through the attributes and the, and the, the significant roles of the Holy Spirit. We've already covered some in our um, discussion so far. We've talked about the roles of the Holy Spirit to be a leader. He leads us to Jesus, and he makes us more Christ-like. We've talked about him being the giver of knowledge and the giver of wisdom. Last week, we talked about uh, he's the giver of gifts and the giver of fruit, and we talked significantly about the differences between gifts and fruit. Today, I want to talk more about the fruit of the Spirit, and I want to really talk about why do I need the fruit? Why do we need the fruit? I want to talk about that as, as the important um, so our, in our life so that we can desire a, a, a growing aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. If we're really going to be able to be more like Jesus, we need the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Now, let me just define what fruit to be. Now, I know they're given, and we're going to read that in a few minutes, but, but maybe we could define fruit to be the characteristics of God that he wants us to exhibit in our life so that we can be effective in building his kingdom here on earth so that we can share an eternal kingdom with him. Lots of words. But the fruit is, it's not just love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Yes, those are the words. But they're really characteristics of God. It's who God is. And he wants us to exhibit the same characteristics of his nature so that then we can then use that as a way that we can be effectively building the kingdom of God. Because remember, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about building the kingdom of God in this world so that we all then can share in the eternal kingdom of God in the future. That's what it's so amazing about the fruit is that it's alive and it's living and it leads us to eternal life. Man, I'm so glad I have that hope. I would hate to be in this world and not having a hope of tomorrow, of what tomorrow holds. I'm in my 60s. Sister B is 89, and she is just as, as sharp as you can think. But her whole life is about living for eternity. Her whole life is saying, God, I'm still here. <laughs> I want to go home. But yet she is effective and she's powerful there because she's a prayer warrior and she is digging in and she's doing great things for God. I told her to be, she had to be quit being so productive in the kingdom and God would finally take her. But because she's so productive, God's keeping her here. <laughs> she start, she's got to start grumbling more because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> Just joking, of course. But as I was praying about this this week and asking the Holy Spirit to help me understand really what he wants us to know about him, the thought came to my mind that a person can only be helped when he or she truly desires to be helped. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. 
We can do everything we can to help a person. But if that person doesn't want to be helped, we're really limited, aren't we? If that person, first of all, doesn't see themselves to need help, for example, we can't help them. Or if they see that they maybe have a problem and they have a need, they need help, but maybe they feel that somebody else's fault that got them into the problem and that they're deferring the problem, we really can't do a lot to help them either because they're in a state of denial about the problem or how they got there. Or maybe they feel so trapped and so isolated because they've, they're in such a big problem that they feel that they have no hope, that they've gone too far, and that God or us or people can't help them. That's a problem too. And there may be other scenarios like that, but the point is the person is really not in a position to be helped if they don't see themselves to be in a position that, need, that needs help. And there's no matter, no matter what I can do, no matter what my effort is, I'm not going to be effective with them because they haven't seen their, their, they haven't seen their need to, to need help. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to break through that deception in our lives that would show us that we need help. All of us are in a position of needing help of some type. The first and foremost is that we need to be saved. <laughs> we need the saving grace of, of Jesus in our life. That's first. And after that, however, the Holy Spirit helps us to see that we have a responsibility in participating in our process of getting healthy and then staying healthy, that we have to participate in it. God has designed the process that it requires more than just love to fix the things of this world. God is love, isn't he? I mean, the Bible defines God as love, and God is all-encompassing, unconditional love, and it's an amazing love that God has for us. But he's designed us, though, that we have to participate in that love with him. It's not just love that will fix it all. Love doesn't cover it all unless we get involved and participate in receiving the love and then sharing the love back to him. It's, it's a, it's a two-way street. Love is always a two-way street. One-way love doesn't go very far, and it's not appreciated. God's designed us to know that we have to participate if something is going to be worthwhile to us. If we have to work for something, then it helps us see the value in it. If you just give me a gift, it may be very valuable to you. You might have worked very hard. Jim, you might you work really hard and you do a nice job making those wooden bowls, right? And it's been, you spend time, you spend time doing that and, and it, they're beautiful. But you might give them to somebody and if they don't see the work that you put into it, they may not see the value in the bowl. And so to them, it may be just sit on the counter someplace or sit on the shelf and never get used. God's designed us that we have to put effort into something if we're going to see the value of something most of the time. Easy come, finish it. Easy go. If it comes easy, it goes easy. If I don't have to work at something, then it doesn't create much value to me. 
God has designed our Christian life to be similar to that. Now, I'm not in all ways saying that we earn our salvation, so don't, don't go there with me on that one. We, the gift of salvation is free, but the living a life thereafter requires everything you have and everything I have. The easy come, easy go mentality, that's part of the problem we have with our social welfare system. We all know that. I mean, it sounds good that we're helping people, and it is good to help people, but if we helped people in the right way, we wouldn't just give them a handout. We would give them a hand up. We would show them how to help themselves to get out of their problem. Yeah, there may come a time when you have to give them some food and clothing, and that's all good, and I'm so for that. But if that's where it stops, we're just creating a monster. We're creating an entitlement monster to say, okay, I don't have to work because if I don't work, you'll just give me it. And some people would just get comfortable just taking the, taking the handouts. And I'm not saying they're not important because there is a time in life when they are important for people. But we have to get past that. We have to work with that person to say, okay, it's time now to get a job. It's now time to, to help yourself. Because when you help yourself, it means more to you and you will appreciate the outcome so much better and you will feel better about yourself and you'll be a productive part of society that you then can, re, can give it back. You can help somebody else later down the road that was in your situation that you needed a handout, right? That's what we need. And the problem is, is that we've gotten comfortable and our society has moving to the, to, the, to the far left of the, I don't want to go there, the socialist mentality. <laughs> We're not going political today. I'm, I'm not going political today. But I'm just saying that we have to be able to know that there is things that we have to do. If we're going to gain something in life, we have to put into something in life. I can't just come to church or I just can't go through life being a consumer. I have to, become a, I have to be a producer. I have to produce so that I feel good about myself and that we can build the kingdom of God by producing, not just consuming. Amen. So I say that so that we can see the necessity of a person that would truly desire to be responsible and to be actively engaged in the health of their own life. So that we then could see the importance of actively being engaged in our own life's healthy living strategy. And this obviously needs to be under the proper context of knowing that the first thing we need to do, the first thing that we need to have is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't go any further, really, until we get to that point. We need to know that Jesus is first. When I come to Jesus in my brokenness, the Holy Spirit tells me that I have a need. The Holy Spirit shows the sin in my life. He brings the conviction. I don't get myself out of the problem by self-help books. I don't get myself out of the problem by lifting myself by my own bootstraps. I don't get out of the problem by just saying, okay, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be gooder. (laughs) I'm going to make myself okay. No, we get out of the problem by saying, Jesus, I need help. Would you please forgive me? And then as he forgives me as I repent, meaning now I'm going to turn the other direction and I'm going to not go down that path again. Again, not by my own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm beginning to walk a life of sanctification. I'm beginning a walk a life of separating myself from evil. I'm beginning to walk a life of getting healthy by the power of the Holy Spirit, all beginning with my saving grace of Jesus Christ. 
Now that I'm saved, now I have a responsibility to walk in the kingdom and to produce in the kingdom and to encourage others to come alongside me in the kingdom. When we come under the authority of Jesus and when we come under his leadership, then we begin to obey and abide by his rules, not living according to our rules. And I will say that is one of the biggest lies of the enemy, that we can have a relationship with the Lord, that we can come under Jesus' authority and still live the way I want to live. That's the worldly perspective of Christianity today. Just speak the word. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Um, Make me whole. Give me health. Give me strength. But if you don't mind, I'm going to live the way I want to (laughs) live. I really don't care what your Bible says because I don't even know what it says. Most Christians don't even know what the Bible says. Most Christians don't even open it up. I shouldn't say most. Many Christians don't even open it up to know what the word says so that they know how to live. They just are into this concept that it's easy now because I've given my life to Jesus. Now I'm good. I can live any way I want to live. But I would ask that person to find the scripture in context, in God's word, and show me that, and then I'll join you. But I can't find the scripture that way. So therefore, I'm going to read the word. So the reason that I'm beginning this way this morning, is as we continue to speak about the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is because we need to appreciate that the Holy Spirit is waiting patiently and lovingly waiting on me to invite him in before he can be the comforter and the helper that he's sent to be. He's not going to come in until I invite him. He's not going to come in until I see that I have a need and I'm going to invite him into my life and I'm going to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need help. I need you to help me and I want to, in, I want to be engaged in this process. And that's what we're going to talk about today is why do we need the fruit of the Spirit? Why do we need it? Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit, read them with me, love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I think for the moment, I think that we all have a pretty good understanding of what these words mean. Uh, About five years ago, in fact, I went through each one of these in pretty good detail. In fact, I might even do it as we progress through this again, I might go back and revisit what each of these means so that we can have a further understanding. But for today, I don't have time to do that. But the point I want to make today is that we need to understand why we need the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that hopefully it will give us a desire to grow and produce as much of it as we can. Until we understand why we need something, it's hard to go for something. Until we understand the significance of the need, sometimes it's hard to put in the effort to get what we need, right? So today, I want to hopefully focus in on why do I need the fruit? And if we can understand why we need the fruit and create a hunger and a desire for the fruit, maybe we'll grow it. (laughs) Maybe we'll apply it, and maybe we'll invite the Holy Spirit in to help us in this area. 
Just like a person that can't be helped without the desire to be helped, the fruit can't be grown and harvested in our lives without us realizing the need for the fruit and thus being, then, uh, then giving us the willingness and the desire to put in the effort to grow the fruit. Make sense? So that's where we're going. So to help to do this, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible if you have it, or you can read it on the screen. Um, but I want to start in Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to ask Dave Krachinski to read this for me. Hopefully this will be recorded in the system. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot there, and we're going to go through this passage. I read in the school library the other day. I was there for a school board meeting, and I saw this banner up on the wall. And it said, your direction determines your destination. And I thought, wow, that's, that's good. That's good advice. It's good advice to be hanging in a, in a school library that um, these, hopefully these teenagers are thinking about and thinking about it seriously, that your direction determines your destination. But as I, was, as I was thinking about it today, I think more importantly, I think it should be turned around, and I think it should say this, that determine your destination and let that set your direction. Determine your destination and then let that set your direction. Because a direction may determine your destination for sure, but that doesn't mean that the destination is worth getting there when you get there. I mean, if your destination isn't good, that doesn't mean your direction's good. So it's better off to start with your destination and then set your direction to get you to the destination that you want to get to. And I thought, okay, that fits right in with what we're talking about today because we need to heed what Peter is saying here in this passage because if you go to verses 10 and 11, that's exactly what he's doing. He is stressing the destination first and then he's given us wise counsel on how to get there. Verses 10 and 11 of the passage that Dave just read, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, let's just stop here for a minute. Peter wrote this. That was his last letter that he wrote before he was martyred. Right now, in the throne room of heaven, Peter is receiving a warm and rich welcome by the Father. 
because he was faithful, because Peter knew his destination, because Peter lived his life out sacrificially, doing the things that the Holy Spirit was leading him to do, Peter today, right now, this moment, he is in his destination, and he is receiving a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome to think about that? This was a real man that wrote this. He truly wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And because he is a real man, he is in heaven today experiencing exactly what he wrote about. He is, he is experiencing his rich welcome. And here's the beautiful thing about this. You and I can do the same thing. If we live our life according to what he's instructing us to by the power of the Holy Spirit, we as well will have a rich welcome into our eternal kingdom too. I I love the fact that I can identify with these men. I'm not like them. I'm not a Peter. I'm just Mike. But I have the same assurance that he has. And so do you. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? So now that we've identified our destination... Let's talk about the process of how we get there. So let's go back to verses 3 and 4 of this passage. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So do you see what he's saying here? His divine power. Who, what's divine power? Who's divine power? The Holy Spirit is the divine power. The divine power of the Holy Spirit gives us the knowledge of God. And he shows us the need for us to live a godly life. And then God gives us the promises that he will give us everything we need to live a godly life, a pleasing life to him, so that we can escape the corruption of this world that is caused by evil desires. So he's showing us how we can get to our destination by escaping the evil of this world. But he says three key words that we can't miss. The the key words are, you may participate in the divine nature. You may participate in a divine nature. My commentary says, we have the privilege of sharing in God's nature. So, so that we can fulfill the responsibilities of conforming to his character and to his standard of holiness. Hear me here. This is really important. Too many Christians don't see their responsibility in their own life to be responsible for their own actions. Let me say that again. Too many Christians don't see the responsibility that they have in their own life to be responsible for their own actions. They don't see that reading the Bible and then obeying God's word to be important. They see it as an optional element of being a Christian, a big maybe. (laughs) Maybe I'll follow God's word. Maybe I'll even read God's word. But if I read God's word, maybe I'll follow it if it feels good to me. I'll obey it, but if it makes me work or if it makes me uncomfortable, then surely God doesn't want to make me uncomfortable. God won't hold me accountable to something that makes me work, will he? God won't make me uncomfortable that I'll have to follow his words. Rather than conforming to God's standards of holiness, many Christians feel that they have the right 
to change God's word to make it conform to what makes them feel good. And why I say that is because in the, it says in, in the end times, there will be many that will go and find pe- many preachers that will scratch their itchy ears, that will tell them what they want to hear so that they feel good about themselves, forgetting what the Holy Word really says, but just make them feel good, and then they're happy. Well, guys, that's the entitlement curse that the enemy has poured out on the church. Like the entitlement curse in our social system, the entitlement curse in the church system is that because God loves me so much, he'll give me what I need and I don't have to work for it. Because God loves me so much, he'll just pour out blessings on my life. It it doesn't make any difference how I live. It doesn't make any difference who I am. God loves me. I'm entitled to his blessings. It's all about me feeling good about my life without any effort to be holy like Jesus. Do you see it happening in the church around us today? Do you see it in your life? I see it sometimes in me. I see it. I mean, I have to recognize it. I have to recognize how real this is to all of us. But it's not what the word of God says. Yes, God does love us, but he's given us the responsibility to love him back. And we love him back through our participation. That's so amazing. God designs us to want to participate. We just don't know sometimes how to participate. So God designs us that he says, if you love me, then you'll obey me, is what Jesus says. That's our, that's our participation. We participate in this process of conforming to God's standards of holiness, meaning that we rise up to live to his expectations not expecting him to lower himself to accepting our expectations. Man. Now, I will say that the only way we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I cannot, on my own, live up to holiness expectations. I can try for a while, and maybe for a few days I might be okay, but as soon as something really pushes my button the wrong way, I'll lose it. Or that pornographic image comes across my mind, I'll lose it. Or that temptation to get into the alcohol comes across my mind, I'll lose it. Or the drugs, or the gambling, or the gossiping, or the slandering. I don't care what the sin is. It will get you eventually if it's not under control of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. I'm just getting to that point. That's why we need the fruit. Because it's only by the fruit can we participate in our responsibility to live a holy life. It doesn't begin until we make an intentional and a purposeful choice to participate. I just can't sit in the church pew and be a consumer and think, God, just just, just give me all I want if I'm not going to be the one willing to go out and begin the work. I have to make the effort. So how do we participate? Okay, let's keep reading verses 5 and 7. It says, for this very reason, here we go, make every effort... To add to your faith, make every effort. That means I have to do something. You have to do something. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Lots of words. Come back to those in a minute. The key word, the key three words, make every effort. You mean I have to do something? Really? 
I thought, according to Romans chapter 10, 9, and 10, all, I thought all I had to do was believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. I thought that's all there was. Well, let's understand the truth. Yes, that is all you need to do for salvation. Yes, I'm not saying you have to do anything else to, to be saved other than to confess with your mouth and believe in Jesus Christ and to accept him as your Savior, and you're saved. But there's day two coming. <laughs> if you could die after day one, you'd be grand. That's the, that's the thief on the cross. He didn't have to live the next day, thank the Lord for him, but you and I do, all right? So now let's get to real where we're at today. Yes, I, am not, I cannot earn my salvation. But once I'm saved, I have a responsibility to stay saved. I have a responsibility to live a life that is righteous and holy and pleasing to the Lord. I don't have the right. I am not my own anymore. I'm a new man. I'm bought by God. Jesus bought me. He paid for my sin. He paid his death, paid for me, and I don't have the right to say I own it anymore. That's why we call this church center point assembly. It's a question. Who's the center point of your life? If Jesus truly isn't the center point, let me tell you, you're not saved. You might act like it. You may look like it on the outside, but if Jesus isn't the center point of your life, if he doesn't control what you think about all the time, if he doesn't control where you go all the time, if he isn't your first priority all the time, I'm telling you, you're playing the game of salvation, and it's not going to work out well for you in the end. We have great promises. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, my Bible commentary says this. My, to make every effort clearly explains that believers must be actively involved in their personal Christian growth. All right, you want more proof of that? Look at the Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, Philippians chapter 2, another, Bible, another book of the Bible written by Paul, not Peter, different author, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, in other words, you're Christians, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work it out. Oh, I'm saved. Okay, but you have to continue to live it out every day. You have to continue to work it out every day. Godly characteristics don't develop on their own. They don't come automatically unless a person continues to work them out in your life. Even after they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, you still need to make the effort to diligently learn and, and depend on the effort and the power of the Holy Spirit to make the changes in you that would give you the godly characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So make every effort doing what? Well, we are to add to our faith. And what that means, it's interesting, and he says add to your faith, that means that we're already saved. You're already saved here. But he says add to your saving faith these words, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. There are seven things here that we're told to add to our saving faith if we're to participate in God's divine nature. And we do that so that we can fulfill the responsibility of conforming to his character and his standard of holiness. Do you see how the Holy Spirit's lining us up here? How he's, how he's saying that these things, in fact, if you, those seven words, these seven words what, right there, what do they look like? 
Galatians chapter 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Very similar to this list. I mean, seven of, those, seven of the nine are right here. So again, different author, different book, book of the Bible, saying the same thing. It's almost like they were reading out of the same playbook. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's almost like it was the same Holy Spirit t- telling Paul what to write as to tell Peter what to write. Isn't it amazing how God's Word's so consistent? How it just builds on its own precepts. So Paul here is saying, and Peter are saying, guys, the common elements of the fruit of the Spirit are necessary in the life of a Christian. If we're going to grow and conform into the very nature of God, which is by definition the fruit of the Spirit, then we are to grow the fruit in our life, and we are to invite that in. So let's continue on. Verses 8 and 9 of Second Peter that, we, that we're in, verses 8 and 9 says, For if you possess these qualities in the increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Okay, hang with me here. We're defining a process now on how to get to our destination. We've identified our destination to be heaven, right? We want to have a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. That's heaven. Now we're trying to figure out how we're going to get there. He says, for if by our participation we possess these fruit qualities in increasing measure, what does that mean? In increasing measure. Growth. Thank you. It means that we are to uh, that we're to be on a continual journey, growing and harvesting fruit daily. My life is to be a constant growing process. It means that this is not a one-time salvation experience, and then I can put everything else on the the shelf and then just live the way the, the life I want to live. It's saying that I, am going, that I have to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit every day into my life. It means that I need to be producing the fruit, the characteristics of godliness in my life every day so that others can see it in my life and that I can be a benefit to others as well as an encouragement to myself. You see, this growing process, it must be ongoing because if it ever stagnates and ceases, for an extended period of time, the fruit will wither and it will die. And likewise, the person's spiritual life will wither and die. You see, we don't, I'm not trying to put pressure here. I'm trying to give instruction. I'm trying to say we need to have a continual daily experience with the Lord. However that looks for you, you need to stay in the word I'm not going to tell you how long you have to stay in the Word. I'm not going to tell you you have to read the Bible in a year or six months. But I'm asking you and I'm encouraging you to read the Bible to some degree. Every day, read the Bible. Every day, pray. Like we said at the very beginning of the, of the message, just spend the first couple minutes in silence. Just, ask, just seeing who God is, revering God, letting him make himself known to you where you're at. Just spend some time with him every day. That's how you invite the Holy Spirit into your garden, that he can produce fruit into your life. If a person isn't growing, eventually they're going to be dying. Eventually you're going to slip backwards, and eventually you'll 
here's a word, here's a couple of words we haven't heard in a long time in the church. Backslide. When was the last time you heard a preacher say anything about backsliding? Well, that's me. Now, it's been a long time ago since I've used the word backsliding. But the reality is we can. We can backslide. We can, we can lose our relationship with the Lord just like we had. It was our choice to develop the relationship with the Lord. It's our choices every day to continue to develop our relationship with the Lord. And if I continue not to let it grow, I will eventually backslide by my own choices. So my encouragement here is to continue to press in and to grow. Remember, the purpose of fruit is to give life. Fruit comes from life, and fruit is to give life. It's to provide the seed for the next generation of that particular plant. It's also to nourish um, people and animals that would eat the fruit. Life gives life. Fruit is a life-giving element. Fruit is meant to be given. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be shown, and it's meant to grow. Verse 8 and 9, if we look at that from a, a positive context, so it says, keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saying this in a positive context says this, that as you grow this fruit and make it obvious for others to see and experience, you will be effective and productive in the kingdom of God. Your fruit is meant to be seen by other people. People say, well, my faith is private. Well, yes, but it's, your fruit's not. <laughs> you better have fruit on your branches. If you claim to be an apple tree, you better have apples and not oranges. Because if you have oranges, or worse yet, no fruit, then what's going to happen, according to God's word, is you're going to be lopped off, and your branch is going to be picked up by the gardener and thrown in the fire and burned. In other words, you have no eternal destination. So yes, your faith may be private, but your fruit is not. Your fruit is very evident, and it should be seen by people. And it should be able to give nourishment to people. Your fruit should be able to nourish somebody else in church and outside of the church. That's why it is so important that we come together, folks. That's why Jesus had a really good idea when he said, I'm going to build a church and I'm going to build it on the rock, which, which means himself. That What that means is that it's an opportunity for us to gather around and to feed each other off of our fruit trees. I'm to share my love with you. I'm to share my patience with you, my goodness, my faithfulness, my gentleness, all that. We're to share it together. And your faithfulness builds my faithfulness. You see, if we came into a church that was inconsistently occupied, it's hard. And, I'm, and, and I know that we're in, a t- we're in a situation now in our society where church is, church is considered optional. I can be a Christian on my own. I can be a Christian and I can serve Jesus out of my deer stand or out of my fishing boat or wherever I'm at. And yes, you can. I'm not saying you can't. But the Bible says, forsake not the gathering together and even more so as the day of the Lord approaches. As times get tougher and tougher, guys, the church needs to be together more and more. I'm telling you what, your faithfulness in church is vitally important to your fruit. Your faithfulness being in church is vitally important to my fruit and to the person sitting next to you, their fruit. Because if you're unfaithful in your church, 
then you're probably unfaithful in other things in your life too. I'm going to get in your knickers a little bit here because that's the truth of God's word. If I can't challenge you, who can? And you know that I love you and you know that I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to help grow your fruit because I need your fruit as much as anybody else needs your fruit. But faithfulness to the house of the Lord is vitally important and it's going to get more important as the days get worse. I'll tell you what, we are just a vote away, a generation away from anarchy in this country and when it happens, believe me, this church better be strong. There better be faithful people in this church because they're going to flood here looking for something and if we're not here, then we're not going to be able to help them when they need help. And it, begins, and it begins now. We need to be faithful today that we're building each other up, getting ready, because this day's going to come when they're going to be flooding in here because they need the truth. It's fake news everywhere, and it's fake news in many churches today. And when they know what's happening and when they finally see it happening, we better, I want to be the church, I want to be the remnant that is standing here bearing up the God's word, bearing up the truth, and living it and being ready to help people. Amen? Help us, Jesus. On Wednesday night, I said this. Leading is being confident in your direction even though no one is following. Can I tell you that I made that up? Put Mike Way in the bottom of that. I hope somebody someday will look at that and say, Mike Way said that. I'm just saying. But I really did. But leading is being confident in your direction even when no one is following. Or let me put a caveat. Even when no one is appearing to be following. Because I will tell you that you're being watched. I'm being watched all the time. You're being watched all the time. Whatever influence, circle of influence that you're in, you're being watched all the time. Parents, your children are watching you. Guys in the job, your coworkers are watching you. Grandparents, your grandchildren are watching you. You're leading, and if you're not confident in your direction, then where are you leading the people that are following you? I'm telling you what, a good leader is one that is confident in their direction, even when they stand alone. That's hard. It's hard to be the only one standing for something if you're alone in it. But if you're confident that your direction is right, if you're confident, let me go back and say it this way, if you're confident that your destination is the right destination, then standing alone is much easier. But let me just tell you, you're really not standing alone. And I just want to encourage you to keep, to keep plodding on. Plod on. <sighs> Jackie, would you come? Are you a good leader, Jackie? <laughs> it's a little internal joke, because every time I say Jackie, she thinks I'm talking to her for some reason. Are you a good leader? Are you, are you, are you confident in your direction? Let's get serious again, sorry. But are you confident in your direction? Really? Do you know where you're going? Do you have your destination already set so that you can set your, your, your direction there to get there? See, having a direction firmly established 
is so important so that we're on the right road. Let's finish it up by going back to where we started, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. It's back on us. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. I want that. I want that. Hmm. So as we conclude this morning, I'm, I'm trusting that you're seeing the need to be a fruit producer in the kingdom of God on this earth so that you will receive a rich welcome. You will only receive a rich welcome if you're faithful on this earth. Let me just tell you that. You will only receive a rich welcome if you're faithful. If you're unfaithful here, you're not going to receive a rich welcome if you even make it to heaven. I will just say it that way. i got to say the truth. Fruit bearing is hugely important, and it's proof not only to me personally that I'm a fruit bearer, but it's also proof to others around me that I can be trusted, and I can be faithful, and I can help them when they need help. And I know that there will be people that I can go to when I see their fruit, that they can help me when I need help. Jesus says it this way, our last passage this morning, Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. It says, this is Jesus' words, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, hear me, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Fruit is obvious. The enemy has done such a good job making right wrong and wrong right. But the Bible says, Jesus says, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. What's your garden like this morning? Not only is our fruit obvious today, but understand your fruit will be made known to Jesus on your day in judgment and will be made known to all because every word you've said will be exposed. Every deed you've done will be exposed. If it hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus, if you haven't covered it through the blood of Christ, if you're living a game, the game will be exposed. Your fruit is obvious. That's why we need to have the fruit of the Spirit growing and multiplying in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just come to you this morning in Jesus' name. Father, I just... I'm taken down to the bare nubs of my life when I look at this passage and read it for really what it means. The challenge that it provides to me, and I pray, God, that it is alive to everyone that hears the word today, that it is alive and it digs deep into our soil of our life and it turns over the soil and it makes it rich and fertile 
that we can plant the seeds of good fruit and that good fruit will grow in our life and it will change us and it will make us into godly people that will have all the characteristics of what it means to be a godly person that we will rise to your levels of standards of holiness and excellence. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will empower us this morning while your eyes are closed and you're examining your heart. I want to give you an opportunity this morning if you need help, maybe going to the first step, maybe you need help, maybe getting your life right with Jesus. You can't go to the second step until you got the first step taken care of. If you need help in this, I want to pray for you. And I want to do it together. So I just want to ask you this morning, if you need, if the Holy Spirit's rolling in your spirit to say, yeah, I need to do something here, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so I can see it and the, whole, and the Lord can see it. And I want to pray with you. And I just want to agree with you that there's work to be done. A person can't be helped until they see they need help. This is a good thing, folks. I want to pray with you that the Lord will extend his perfect grace and say, you're welcome here. Yeah, I see that hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing your work. Thank you, Jesus, for gardening us for tending our garden this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you for your mercies and your grace. I thank you for your conviction. I thank you for the way that you just nudge us a little bit and say, yeah, just a little bit of work to do here. And I thank you for your faithfulness and your forgiveness. I thank you that you, you, that you give us freedom And you give us a true desire to know you deeper and more every day. Forgive us today, Father. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our failures. We repent. And we just invite you to be the gardener of our life. (laughs) I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Jackie, would you lead us in a song?
Father, we are overcome by your presence. We are overcome by your love, by the tenderness, the way you garden us. You tend our our orchard, Lord, the trees, our fruit. God, we just are overcome by you. And we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for the way you love us. And God, we just surrender now to you. Help us as we go throughout our days. Help us to continue to live for you and to surrender all things for you and to grow our fruit, Father, that we'd be mighty and powerful in your kingdom. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today as you go.